at God bringing light into our darkness and just the, the glory of God seen in the fact that he would look upon our, our darkness and yet he would send light. And so I want to share with you this morning from John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, we see the helpless condition that we find ourselves in apart from the work of God, apart from his sending his son. And we see the beauty of the fact that God would send his son even in the midst of our darkness. John chapter 3, in verses that many of you know and have heard, but maybe haven't gone further from these verses. John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Everyone knows it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I want to draw your attention to these next verses. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever, does not, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Can I bring us a real moment real fast in the midst of the hustle and bustle, in the midst of all the planning you have to make? I mean, realizing that Christmas Day is two weeks from today blows my mind. The fact that it's coming this fast, your family is going to come to your house and you're going to want them to leave as soon as possible because they're going to drive you crazy. You say there's a reason we only get together once a year and it's because of this. And then you got to do all the cooking and all the preparing, and you got to make sure everybody's got a gift. You don't want anybody to be left out thinking that you hate them. And so Christmas is filled up with, we got to go here, we got to buy this, we got to do that. And by the time Christmas comes, you don't even have a chance to enjoy it because it's filled with stress. And then somebody's got to do the dishes. Somebody's got to clean up after the mess when they all leave. And then you got to start back to work, and the season is here and gone. To be honest with you, Jesus deserves far more than a couple hours on a certain morning. I'm, I'm talking to me first above everyone. And it's interesting to me that here in this text, we see the beautiful verses that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Beautiful verses. And yet, not just a couple later, we find out the real predicament that is humanity and who we are. He says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light. See, we, we, we already studied on our first week in Genesis chapter 1 that, that the earth was empty without, it, it was void and in the midst of darkness hovering, God said, what? Let there be and God gave light in the midst of darkness. So we talked about the fact that God was gracious to give light in the midst of darkness. Then we looked at last week, we looked in the Psalms as we studied the fact that even when God's people were off into exile, away from their land, God promised them that he was bringing light, gathering them all together. 
that he was one day going to gather all of his people and he would be their God. But now we also see in John chapter 3 the struggle that we have is that God sent light. He sent Jesus who was light, sent Christ into our world. And guess what humanity's response was to the gift of Jesus? It says that they, they loved darkness more than the light. And why? Why did the people love darkness more than the light? Because when God shines light into darkness, it exposes our sin and our hearts. And I don't know about you, but no one in this room loves to have the spotlight shown on their sin. No one wants to see that broadcast. We'd much rather just bury it and move on. And when God sent his son Jesus, he sent light into darkness, but human beings desired darkness rather than the light God gave. And I'm really thankful this morning that God didn't say in that moment, well, then fine, I'll take him back. But instead, Jesus stayed, and he lived, and he died. And the whole time, the people are saying, we'd rather have darkness. We'd rather have darkness. We'd rather have darkness. And I'm so grateful. That what we celebrate around Christmas isn't just a little baby lying in a manger. But what we celebrate on Christmas is the fact that that baby grew up to be a man. And that that man would live a perfect life. And he would be perfectly obedient to the Father. And even though the whole world around him is spitting on him and telling him they hate him, in the end he goes to the cross and he dies so that we might have light in the midst of our darkness. And, and darkness would be expelled because the light has come. And I'm so thankful that when Jesus came across people who were spitting on him and saying they'd rather not have him, he still picked up the cross and he walked up the hill and he died anyways. So this morning what we're going to be looking at is light in the midst of our darkness and the fact that the darkness did not like the light. But how grateful we are this morning that God did not pull his light away. But instead, in the midst of our hatred, in the midst of our sin, God says, I'm going to purchase you. This morning, Christmas is far greater than just a baby in a manger. It's far greater than just some ham on a Christmas morning, far better than presents underneath the tree. The beautiful thing about this season is we are celebrating the fact that God gave light in our darkness, and even though we hated him, he died for us. Would you pray with me? God, I pray you will help us to see, even afresh this morning, that God, you are light. And we are surrounded by darkness. And God, I can, I can be a testifier to the fact that at the age of 18, I love the darkness more than I love the light. And I looked upon Jesus and I said, so what? But God, I am thankful that in that time, you did not say, well, then I'm forgetting about Jason. I'm moving on. I'm so grateful at the age of 18, you didn't say I'm forgetting about Jason, but instead in the midst of my hatred, you said, I'm going to save Jason. And I'm thankful that every Christian in this room is able to proclaim the same thing, that even though we were in darkness and we loved darkness more than light, we loved our sin more than Jesus, that he still died. 
And that today, as Christians, God, we can lift up our voices and say, you have rescued us from the midst of despair. And God, may you alone receive honor and glory. As we sing these next songs, God, help us to sing, not as tradition. Not, don't, don't just help us to sit here and endure the music. God, help us to sing aloud our hearts cry that you have rescued us. And from a little town of Bethlehem would come the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who rightly sits on the throne, who created all things, and is one day coming back. God, help us to sing about this town that you sent your son to and his beauty of that night when in the midst of darkness came the light of the good news of salvation. God, you alone deserve praise and honor and glory. We ask you to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Barry. I would ask that you turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And we're continuing in this theme of light in the midst of darkness as we celebrate the giving of Christ. And what I want to share with you this morning from Psalm 27 is hope of life in darkness. So I hope that you have a Bible with you. If you don't own a Bible, I want you to see me after the service because I'm going to get you one so you can have one. I want you to bring your Bible with you every time you come to church, and I want you to bring a notepad with you every time you come to church so that you can take notes because you will not remember, you won't remember 95% of what I say, which in some instances is really good, but in this situation, not so much. So... I want you to have a notepad so you can take down notes, you can remember and study over them. Also, so if I start to preach heresy, if I start to preach something that is against the Bible, you're able to come back to me and say, Jason, you said this, correct it. So you keeping notes is helpful for not only you, but it also helps you keep me in check to make sure I teach the Word of God. Are you excited to open up the Word of God this morning? I mean, seriously. Are you excited at the fact that God has revealed himself to you through a written word that you can take with you and read anytime you want? Excuse me. <coughs> anytime you want. <laughs> that God has given us his word. God has said he loves us so much that he has revealed himself to us. He said, here I am for you to study and know and learn about. So what we're doing right now isn't just reading a book. We're looking on the face of God, and we're able to learn from him. He is actively teaching us right now in this moment. How exciting is that? If you're not excited, I need you to go to the bathroom, turn on the faucet, get some water in your hands and splash it and then come back in because we're going to study the fact that in this passage this morning, we have the hope of life in darkness. And I don't know about you, but I need that when I wake up tomorrow to know that there is hope of life in the midst of darkness. So Psalm 27, I'm not going to tell you how many verses we're going to go through. I may do all of them. I may not. I'm going to surprise you. But Psalm 27 is a psalm of David that gives us great hope in the midst of darkness. 
Now, if you are physically able, I would like for you to stand with me this morning as I read to you Psalm 27. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And we're going to read the whole thing this morning, Psalm 27. Would you look at your word of the, the word that you have with you? Here's what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple." For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, help us to understand this text. Lord, help us in the midst of our darkness. Lord, in the midst of the distresses we see all around us. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to see, God, that you are the light. You are salvation. And, God, we can wait upon you. Help me, God, to trust you more than I do. Help me, God. I pray that my heart will echo the Father in Mark's gospel who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, God, root out of my heart the pockets of unbelief. And help me, God, to trust and wait upon you. Lord, help me to see that the darkness does not win. Evil does not conquer. You are the king. You're the Lord. And you promise deliverance. So God, we call upon you as people who live in darkness, surrounded by sin and brokenness, surrounded by disease and death. We call upon you and we say, God, we need you. Help us in the shattered lives we live to see that you bring hope, and hope everlasting. We ask you, God, to receive glory and honor and praise. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Would you be seated this morning? I may cough a few more times. The good news is I have battled back 
from whatever was plaguing me last Sunday, but I still got some coughing left in me. So I hope that you'll bear with me. I hear a few others who are dealing with it too. So let's bear with one another. I may cough a little bit here and there, but I thank you for all your notes of encouragement, for your text messages to check on me. I, I very much appreciate it. I thank you for those who picked up the slack while I was out and gone. I thank uh, Patty, who's back with the Chitlins. I thank her for helping help me out on Wednesday morning when I couldn't get here, and, and for Billy helping out on Wednesday night, and, and for Bill helping out on Monday morning. Thank you, everybody who pitched in and helped carry the weight. I needed you, and you helped me out so greatly, but I'm so grateful to be up here able to preach and to not be sick, and I'm excited. I hope you are too. We'll find out here in a minute. So the context of Psalm 27 is we don't know necessarily. We know it's of David, but we don't know what particular circumstance in his life we're talking about. We're not told the background. We can't connect it necessarily to any specific event. And so the context of Psalm 27 is no specific occasion. It's just written by David, and perhaps it's in the midst of Saul chasing after him. Perhaps it's in the threat of violence towards him. We know that David was fleeing from Saul, hiding out in mountainous caves. It could be during that time. All we know is, whatever it is, David finds himself in a battle. He finds himself in darkness. He finds himself struggling. And in that comes the good news of the Lord's presence. Number one, what I want to show you in the midst of this psalm is the Lord's gracious presence in the midst of it. Notice what he says in verse 1 as he starts. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You know where this starts? It starts with the Lord. It starts with the one true God who reveals himself to us throughout the Bible. This starts, the psalm starts with the Lord, the one and only, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The name God gives Moses to tell Pharaoh is this name right here. It is the Lord, the one and only, the eternal, uncreated God of the universe. This is who David places his petitions before. He's not going to any other source other than the Lord, the one who has revealed himself as the one true king of all things. And I want you to notice this. He says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is. Not that the Lord brings light, not that the Lord gives light primarily, but the Lord is light. He is salvation. That's a key distinction. God doesn't just bring a remedy. He is the remedy. He's not just bringing light. He is the light. He's not bringing salvation. He is that salvation. So David, right from the beginning, says the Lord is. He is the source, the only place of life and salvation. Where else is there to turn in the midst of darkness? Can I help this all out this morning? In the midst of evil and sin and darkness and affliction, where is the one place we should be going? Where is the only place where we can find relief, the only place we can find hope? Where is that? It's found only in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but my life is riddled with examples where I went somewhere else first or to someone else first instead of realizing that he is life. He is light. He is salvation. That's who he is. He can't stop being those things. God doesn't ever stop being light. He doesn't ever stop 
being salvation. It's who he is. Charles Spurgeon said, salvation finds us in the dark, but doesn't leave us there. It's not said merely that the Lord gives light, but that he is light. Not that he gives salvation, but that he is salvation. And can I help us all out? John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is not saying, I bring light. He's saying, I am light in the midst of darkness. Listen, we're filled with desires to run after other sources of light, to run after other sources of salvation. There is no other place. Apart from Christ, there is no other place because he is light. He is salvation. Notice David goes a step further and says, not only is the Lord light, but the Lord, he says, is my light and my salvation. Can I help you? David isn't a deist. You know what a deist is? A deist is someone who believes that there is a God who created everything, but then he stepped away. He's just letting it run on its own. Hate to break it to you, a lot of our founding fathers were deists. They believed in God, but they believed in a distant hands-off type of God? That's not who David's talking to. David's not describing to you a God who created things and then stepped out. Can I supply to you that David is not describing an absentee father? He says, you are light, and he says, but you are my, my light and my salvation. This God who created all things is a personal God. Can I help you? He's a personal God. Barry, he knows the depths of your heart. Sam, he knows the depths of your heart. He knows what you need. Jeff, he knows. He knows the depths of your need. Ruby, God is a personal God. And he knows you. And he knows what you need. Ken, God's a personal God. He's not far from you. He is right here. And he knows you. Linda, God is a personal God. He doesn't just know of you, Linda. He knows you. And he knows in he knows your life. And he's not just some light. And he's not just some salvation. Linda, he is your light. Linda, he's your salvation. He knows mine. And he knows every single one of you who are his children. He knows you. He's not a distant God. He's not just the light. He's your light. And he's mine. Oh, I don't know about you. Christmas changes when it's not just about some other baby who belongs to someone else. Christmas changes when you realize that baby came for you and for me. I guess I'll appeal to scripture here real quick. In case you're like, Jason, I think you're making that up. I think you're just trying to make fancy points. Psalm 139. Listen to this. Listen. He's not He's not gone. Psalm 139, he says, the psalmist says again, another psalm of David. 
And David says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise. That's pretty personal. The God who knows when you sit down and get up. I don't even notice that in my family most of them. They can sit down and get up all day long. I don't notice it. God knows when they sit down and when they get up. He says, you discern my thoughts from afar. God is so personal, he knows your thoughts. Now, that's either very scary to you or very comforting. Probably a little bit of both. But that's a personal God. He says, David said, you search me out. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. David says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He says, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. And David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. David says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, for the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And then David goes all the way back to when he was even created. David says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my, mo my mother's womb. He says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. Even when we're little fetuses, we're little babies. Infants, we're still not hidden from God. He sees us. He says, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And then David, thinking of all that, says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Can I help you? This light, this salvation is not some distant God. He knows you. And he is acquainted with all your ways. Nothing has caught him by surprise. And that's helpful news in the midst of a world filled with darkness. It's helpful to know that nothing catches God by surprise. Not a single thing. But everything is purposeful. Mike, it's purposeful from the hand of God. Everything, God has formed us and he has ordered our days, Mike. He's ordered our days. He knows what each day is going to be before we ever have them. I can give you no better gift this morning than to proclaim to you that the God who created the universe created you and knows you and knows what you need and he knows your sin and my sin, and he still dies for us. What gives David hope? The Lord's presence. He's not gone. Even while David is being chased down and threatened to be killed, guess who hasn't left him? God. The Lord's presence is there. He says in Psalm 27, you are the Lord. 
and you are my light, and you are my salvation. And then off the basis of that, he says, Mike, he says, who shall I fear? Who, who's going to scare me? Who's going to cause me to quake in my boots knowing that the God who created everything knows me? Whom shall I fear? Is there any man that I should fear? Any situation, any affliction, he's not just a light, he is David's light. This is the love and grace and mercy of the God who knows me personally and died in my place, who knows the depths of my sin and yet demonstrates his love in dying for me. What man can stand toe-to-toe with God? Is there darkness that is greater than the God of light? Is there bondage greater than the God of salvation? No. David's not asking that question because he doesn't know the answer. He's telling you that question because the answer is assumed. No. There's no man greater. No affliction greater than God. He is David's light and salvation. Then he says this, not only that, but he's also the Lord is the stronghold of my life. He says, of whom shall I be afraid? Again, what fear is there when you know that the God who created all things is also the one protecting you? He not only gives you life, but he protects the life that he gives. Now I want you to understand this is, this is new life. This is spiritual life. This is eternal life. Listen, many of you have lost loved ones in the last couple of years. Many of you have. And you may in those times go, I wonder if God still provides life. What's being spoken of here is David knows that the God who knows him is the God who not only has given him life, but protects it, keeps it guards it, and because of that, can never be robbed from David, no matter what man does, whether Saul gets what he wants and finally kills David or not, the Lord protects him. The Lord is his stronghold. Then he goes on to say that there is the reality of darkness. Listen, we we don't act like there's no darkness. We see that. Verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Evildoers, adversaries, enemies assailing you, trying to bring you to a full end, which is what eating up the flesh means. All of those things are realities. They are true. They exist in this life. We, we experience difficulty, and it's a picture of battle. There's a war arising. There's army encamped, but because of the Lord's love for his own and for the glory of his own name, what God does is he drives out fear. He causes the enemy to stumble and fall. He brings confidence in the middle of affliction. This is what God does in the reality of darkness. We don't act like darkness doesn't exist. We don't act like there's not enemies, but we realize that those enemies and that darkness is not greater than God. God demonstrates on numerous occasions the fact that he is the Lord and he is the one who is around us. And just so you know, God has demonstrated that on numerous occasions. What David is appealing to here are the times in his life when he saw God do these things. Just so you know, God has shown his deliverance and protection in your life before. So you can trust him. You can be confident because you've seen him work. You've seen him bring you through. Because he's been faithful already, you can trust him to be faithful in the future. And in this psalm, we see that it doesn't matter what circumstances we face, what battle may come, Guess what? We have the Lord. 
No matter what battle comes, we have Jesus. So we don't have to fret. There is no fear, even in the reality of darkness. But I want you to notice that David gives purpose to darkness as well, purpose to life in the midst of it. You ready for this? David's going to show you his focus in the midst of darkness. Notice what he says in verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Did you catch that? One thing. One thing. Listen, I haven't had one thing on my to-do list ever. If I ever had one thing on my to-do list, I would be a happy camper. And if I asked you to boil your life down to one thing right now, you'd probably struggle with that. There's too many things to boil it down. But here, David, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of everything around him, enemies assailing him, he says there is one thing that he has asked of the Lord. How many of you have heard this verse before? One thing I have asked of the Lord, right? And many of you have heard it. Think about this. Think about it. David says there's one thing that I have asked of the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean he never asked for another thing. It just meant that this is the primary thing. This is the big thing. This is the one encompassing thing. This thing is so big that it makes everything else look like nothing. He says, this one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does David want? What does he petition God for in the midst of darkness? What does he petition God for? One thing, singular focus, priority, the primary thing, the one thing he has asked the Lord and will seek after is that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Oh, what's, that, what's that talking about? Is that just mean coming to church? For him, did it mean just going to the temple? Is that all it was about? That he longed to just go to the temple, be around God? I think it's so much greater than that. He says, there's one thing I've sought after, one thing that I've asked of God, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't believe this is talking about broken visits to the physical temple. This that David is talking about, I believe, is the certain hope of dwelling in the very presence of God forever. That's what he wants. No more temporary dwelling. He wants full dwelling with God. Now, he knows he can't have this yet, so he's seeking after it. But that's his one thing. That's the one thing he asks of God, that he would dwell in the house, in the presence of God forever. Okay. It's 11.44. I've got to wrap this up, but I've got to give you this illustration. Don't take it too far. If I give you illustrations, don't take them too far because eventually you'll get down and if you, if you pick it apart too much, I'll be teaching heresy at some point. So it's just a general illustration that I want to give you in the light of David saying that what he desires more than anything is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You ready for this? I'm going to come, I'm going to come down real quick. So. Did you know that in the temple area, in the temple area, the area surrounding the main temple, you had all the courts and the walls and the gates. Then you had the Holy of Holies. You had the temple area. Did you know that in the temple area, just outside of it, around the edge, were the homes, the apartments of the priests? 
They had to live near the temple because they had to be able to work and they had to be able to offer sacrifice and they had to have, so they would actually the priests would actually live in apartments near the temple in fact when Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he's walking around with his disciples and we have John 14 when Jesus says in my father's house are many rooms you know what I think is happening there? I think while Jesus is teaching that, they're walking by and they can see the houses of the priests, the apartments they live in. And they were the most sought. Everybody wished they could live in there because they'd be so near God. They were the most cherished places. To live. Oh, that you could live where the priests live because they're right next to the temple. They're so near to God. And as Jesus is walking with them past there, I, I think, I think he's... They see the apartments of the priests and he's saying, in my father's house are many rooms. And one day we're all going to be dwelling in the temple. We're all going to be dwelling with God. You know, the priests have the good spots now, but in, God, in heaven, we're all going to be dwelling with God. We're all going to be in the good spots. We're all going to be so near to him, there won't be any separation. And David says, this I have asked for, and I have seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, this is what I want. I'm going to dwell with God for the rest of my days. Oh, that I could be near him. This is the only hope in darkness. Oh, God, I want to be with you. And I want to dwell in the presence of God. And what David's looking forward to is a day when there will be no more sin, no more separation, no more darkness. And we will dwell with God forever. And that is the sole, that is the sole aim that David petitions God for. Oh God, that you would let me dwell in your presence forever. I should probably make this two parts because I've got a lot more. I'll tell you what I am. I've just made a decision. I don't want to rush this. Not because there's anything fancy about my words. It ain't, it ain't that great. But I want to camp on this next week. Can we do that? Can we come back to this? Because what I want to share with you next week is the continuation of this. And I want you to see the provision of God. And I want to look at what David's seeking after. To know the presence of God. And his provision. So let me leave it this way then. What you and I need more than anything in this world is not good advice. If you're here and you're just wanting some good advice for living, I don't have it. But what I do have is what I find in the Word of God, which is not just advice, it is good news. That even in the midst of my sin and darkness, because what we're going to look at next week, and I need you to be ready for this, what we're going to look at next week, and you're coming back. Since you came here for the first half, you have to come to the second half. 
It just will not be. Listen, you will regret it the rest of your life. If you're a guest with us, you will regret it for the rest of your life. If you never know how this ended, you got to come back and see. you got to come back and see. But what I want to look at next week is what that looks like, what God does as we seek after him in this life, that God actually does something while we're seeking in the midst of darkness. And what I want to show you next week is that we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve to dwell anywhere near God. We don't deserve to live in his presence. We don't deserve any of that. But God, God sent his son to die, to be light in darkness that we might find life. He is our light. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold. And he deserves praise. So if you're here this morning and you're trying to be good, you're trying to be good so God will love you, Stop. I mean, don't stop, but I mean, just realize that it's, it's fruitless. You, you can't do it. If you're trying to put God in your debt by being a good person, you can't do it. Your sin, my sin, is so great that we could never do enough to make up for the fact that we've tried to pull God off the throne. So the question is not, how do I be better? How do I try harder? In fact, I'm here to Bust that apart. The word of God shatters your view that God has simply died to give you a clean slate. I want to show you that what you need more than anything is not a clean slate, but what Christ has already done, which is to take the slate and to shatter it into pieces. I want you to know that you cannot earn God's forgiveness. You cannot be a good enough person. If it could have been done, Paul would have been saved that way. Some of you sweet ladies in this room, if it could have been done, y'all would have figured it out. But we can't do enough good to make up for our sin. But here's the good news. You don't have to because God has already done everything for you because he sent his son to die on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place. Your sin and my sin was heaped on him. And he experienced the full wrath of God. Oh, I'm, I'm getting into next week. I want you to know this morning that you don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve salvation. But God graciously gives it to sinners. And I want you all to walk. I don't want a single person to walk out of here not knowing whether you've been rescued by the king. I want every single one of you to trust in Jesus for your salvation because there is no other place to find it. He is light. He is salvation. And I want him to be yours today. And if you're here and you haven't trusted in him, don't leave until you have. Trust in the one son of God who could pay for your sin on the cross. Trust in his life, his death, his resurrection from the grave for your sin. Trust in that and be saved this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I ask you to use your word